if the boss comes in and says, hey, I, you're going to do great, or I believe in you, I'm really looking forward to this, whatever, it, it changes your brain chemistry. It changes what's happening. And, and so often the, the, the managers and the leaders in an organization are unaware, because they're also on autopilot, how those little tiny interactions are affecting people. Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're also thrilled to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Today, we have a special guest in Cami Travis Grove, and the title is Taking the Steering Wheel Back from Your Inner Critic. Now, see, Cami has worked over 30 years in the creative world, specifically graphic design industry. She is now a coach for creatives. And Cami helps creatives get past that inner critic that holds so many of us back. She's going to talk about the way our brain functions and the way that our brain actually works to keep us safe by holding us back and telling us to play small and to not believe in ourselves. She's going to talk about the role of trauma in our growth as leaders, as creatives, in fact, as people at all levels. She's gonna talk about the difference between little T trauma and big T trauma and how the little T traumas have this huge impact, but we often overlook them. She's also gonna give all of us some great tips and tools on how to interact with the people around us differently to minimize the little T traumas and to amplify the support and encouragement and appreciation that everybody needs. This is such an important conversation because it's about the inside work, what Cami calls the inner work, which is the work that matters. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so thrilled to be back here today with Cami Travis Groves. And I'm particularly, I'm going to just use the word tickled because <laughs> Cami and I had a chance to meet each other, I think back in August. We've had at least one conversation since then on Zoom. I'm waiting for that in person. It's going to happen <laughs> because, I mean, I think our conversations could have gone on for days. We just need an IV. <laughs> it's that You're going to get it right away. It's those kind of conversations. So Cami. In simplest terms, but it's so, it doesn't nearly do the job is she's a transformational coach and she's an expert on inner work. And we're going to talk about mm. what that means today. And particularly, she works almost exclusively with creatives and she helps creatives tame their inner critics for good <laughs> and become their best selves. Nice. She's a 30 year veteran of the graphic design industry. So she is that creative. And trust me when I say this, she has done her inner work. She's doing her inner work. She's not someone talking about it. She's walked it and she's talking about real life experiences. So she knows what it's like. She's a speaker now, as well as an author. She lives in Kansas city. And this is what I love. It makes me smile. She's best known for her good juju and spreading <laughs> it wherever she goes. So welcome Cammy and all your good juju. Cause we could use some. 
Thank you, Jeff and Craig, both of you. Yeah, that was a, a title that someone else gave me and I just adopted. Several other people said, you know, you just spread good juju. Okay, I'll, I'll own it. Awesome. I love it, Cami. So it sounds like you, you're doing the scary work. And I say that because most people, <laughs> a lot of people don't want to go inside. They want to blame everybody outside. So, well, that seems easier, um, <laughs> but it's, you're working on symptoms. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you don't address the root cause of the symptoms, they'll be back. Maybe that's oh, why the Dr. coaches do is they just, you know, deal with the symptoms so that those clients are back. I'm not interested right. in doing that. Yeah. Very good. So Cami, give everybody a little bit of the Cami story. Oh, the Cami story. Well, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just say I, I had a really rotten childhood. If mm. you're familiar with the ACE test, I scored an eight out of 10. Mm. And um, the, the, the deck was stacked against me, to say the least. Mm. I, I woke up, let's just call it that. Um, the first time when I was 17, uh, I kind of fell back to sleep a little bit. I got married and had kids and whatnot. And through some really, really transformational coaching that I received, I got the hell out of my own way. I realized what my calling is, which is coaching. And I got really good at it. <laughs> and it's so rewarding and so satisfying. At the end of the day of coaching, I could, you know, I, it's like the beginning of the day. I feel great. That's a good judge of, uh, are you doing something that you should be? It's, it's at the end of the day, are you mentally and physically exhausted and you just want to Netflix? <laughs> or do you want it like, oh, I could do this forever. And that's how I feel at the, at the end of a day of coaching. Wow, that's great. So, Kimmy, you had a very extensive career in the creative side, in the graphic design world, before you start the coaching. So talk a little bit about being in that industry and some of the realities of these inner critics that I doesn't surprise me that that is a world that might have an even louder voice than some of us. Yeah, it's, it's so many creative people are, are in the creative realm because they're, they're seeking that positive feedback. Um, there, a lot of, a lot of us were frustrated artists. Hello. <laughs> and you know, you, you were told that you can't make a living from being an artist because of the phrase starving artist is so familiar. But if you, if you got into the industry because you were creative and, and, you know, there's always somebody else in the graphic design world, there's always somebody else in charge of that end result and you never have control over it. And it's, ugh. and at the end of the day, somebody else says, nah, just make it pop. I, cannot, I cannot tell <laughs> you how many ever. times I have been told, make it pop <sighs> fingernails on a chalkboard. Um, and, and as a designer saying this thing that you want me to do, this thing that this ad or this, you know, commercial or whatever that you, the presentation, the thing that you want it to do is my goal. And so many times as a female in a male dominated industry, um, as the voice of design and the power of strategic design, um, I was ignored and it got yeah. old. And so I believe that inner critic that said, are they going to like this? Or, Is it going to be enough? Is it the right thing? When in my gut, I knew 
<laughs> over and over again, I knew, but I second guessed myself because of that damn inner critic. Did you run into a lot of Don Drapers? Uh, I actually have not seen Mad Men, but I understand oh, okay. the difference. <laughs> I was thinking the same question, Craig. Yeah. I, I think there's some of the inner critic shows up in that show, though. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Cammy. one thing you said that caught me a little off guard, hmm. and this is based upon one of my biases or assumptions when you said a male-dominated world, and I'm thinking that that would not have been my perception, that graphic design was a male-dominated world. The upper echelon of graphic design is all men. Hmm. And the people who are the, the low men on the totem pole, so to speak, the people who That's are actually doing the work are mainly creatives, are mainly women, excuse me. Okay, so you're talking about the strategic layout is going to be the men, but a lot of the creative actual visuals is the women. Yeah, yeah, okay. very much so. All right, I can see that. So it's but But any CDOs, any creative directors, art directors are all men. Hmm. Great majority of our men. So what and are you doing about that? <laughs> I'm empowering a whole lot of women. Yeah, good, good job, Cammie. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I guess I would throw this out as an aside. It would be interesting to get your take if you watched a few episodes. You probably have to watch more than a few episodes of Mad Men to see some of the dynamics of that inner critic showing up and some of the the way some of the women and one particular character really empowered herself yeah. through that. Um, the only person time. you can control anyway. Right. So I'm curious on your journey, Cammie, when did you even start to think about what you would now label the inner critic? I don't know if you had the label in the beginning, mm -hmm. but at some point you be started to become aware of this. Mm -hmm. I would say when I began the coaching journey myself, um, receiving coaching. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't have a coach or a mentor until I was well into my 40s. Uh, and, and it was somebody else helped me identify uh, what that is. And, and a great way to do that is, you know, I would love to blank, but I doubt that blank. Mm. I would love to own my own company, but I'm afraid that I won't be successful. I'm a, I would love to run a marathon, but I doubt I'll be strong enough. I'd love to buy the world of Coke, but I don't have that many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so the beginning half of that sentence is you, the yeah. real you, like the things that you are yeah you might be driven to do. And the second half of that's your inner critic mm. thing. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not old enough. You're not young enough. <laughs> you're not blank enough. You're not male enough. You're not male enough. Yeah. It's, in it's your, any concept of enough. And I learned it from, wow. from my coach. I mean, so my is, coach is, is it as simple to counteract as saying I am enough and really believing that or well, is there a whole bunch more to unpack there? There's a whole bunch more. to <laughs> <All right. laughs> So when you when you first learned how to use a spoon, <laughs> your entire brain was lit up. Okay, first time you learned how to do anything. Yeah. First time you learned how to drive a car. Mm -hmm. Your entire brain, like, where where are my hands supposed to be? Where am I supposed to be looking? What what's happening? So there's all your brain is using a huge amount of energy to to figure out how to best do the thing yeah. so after you've used a spoon a few thousand times i mean when was the last <laughs> time you had to think about how to use a spoon right so that you that's that's your brain being really efficient with a repeated thought or a repeated behavior 
But if you have been thinking, which is great, but if you've been thinking for ages that I'm not enough and you think I'm good enough, your brain goes, you're not enough. Gotcha. Your brain resists change, physically resists change. And you have to put that new thought on repeat. Um, the statistic is about 400 times. Hmm. So that's why affirmations work, but only when they're on repeat. Or if you can involve play of some kind, you can you can learn a new behavior or a new thought pattern in about 20 repetitions. Now, what about affirmations when you're asking yourself a question? Why am I enough? Mm, I think that is that's wonderful to do. And I, I encourage people to journal mm-hmm. doing that because the you know, you, you are the one with all the answers. Like my coaching clients come to me and they want answers. Okay. (laughs) I'll ask you the right questions so you can find them There you go. because I don't have all the answers, but, but you have them inside of you. So you're the guide. Yeah, totally. Totally. I've walked the path. I've got the skin and the, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I I want to talk a few moment about affirmations again. I mean, I think they're valuable personally. I read somewhere, I don't know where it was, something that they're only effective about 20 to 25% of the time. And it may be because of lack of repetition. From my experience, it felt like it, I never allowed it to sink in because I could stand in front of the mirror and say, I am, I am enough, or you know, I have enough money. And then my head would go on and say, well, but did you look at the checkbook last <laughs> right. week? So I'm not saying they don't work, but, you know, I guess my experience is it's part of the work. It's not Definitely. the answer. So can you talk more about the fact that affirmations are just a piece oh, very of much inner so. work? Yeah, it's you have to become familiar with your inner landscape and really understand what's going on um, this summer. I took June and July off of, of networking and mentoring so that I could write my next book. And I went down the trauma rabbit hole and I read um, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And I read What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Both of them are amazing books. And I understand now that even though I have done the work, the, the me that is present now, has a very long tail that reaches back into like infancy because when, when we're infants and, and we are developing a worldview, we don't have the language to, to name it or, or whatever, but all those memories are in there. It establishes our worldview. And since I had such a, you know, crappy childhood, I understand now that all those things still can influence me Hmm. at a subconscious level. Because, you know, daily as infants, we're, we're developing millions and millions of neural connections. Um, and a lot of what's happening is, is you know, lower brain, not, not the juicy gray stuff up front, but the, <laughs> back, the back end. And since our thoughts are sequential, meaning they come in um, interoception from our inside our own heads and exteroception from our five senses, they come in through the bottom of your brain, through the brainstem lizard brain, limbic system, all that. And only if that is calm, do you have access to the front part of your brain? Wow. Okay. So in, in looking back at everything I've been through, I realized how many times those thoughts went halfway up my brain, my, my brain and body reacted 
And the front part of the smart part of my brain is completely shut off. Hmm. So all of all of that having been said, the the journey is lifelong. I mean, you're finished when you're dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's, it's a lifelong journey. Does that explain then why, you know, when when something riles us up, we then don't we lose access to the smart choices, essentially? Yeah, okay. yeah they're gone. Right. That part of our brain is shut off from us. We don't have access to it. It's like it goes offline. Okay. I had a, a gal explain it to me, a, a psychologist. She said, if you think about like, this is your brain, this is the juicy front matter stuff. Um, and then when you go offline, this part's completely inaccessible and our amygdala takes over. Hmm. That's like, keep us safe, run, fight, fight, <laughs> you know, fun, whatever that is. And this part's like, it's gone. But only when this comes down and then everything else can get back online, then you have access to your whole brain. When you're talking about calming down, are you saying that we need to be less reactive to what's going on around us or explain maybe the, what you mean by calm? Well, more aware. We are not our emotions any more than we are our elbows. <laughs> okay. So, so it's important to be able to practice observing your emotions when you're calm hmm. So that when things get out of hand and when things get crazy, you can observe them and go, hmm, how do I want to react? Because there is about a fifth of a second between when something happens to you and, how, and when you respond. And in that time, you, it, which doesn't seem like a lot, but to your brain, it's plenty of time. And you get to decide how you want to respond. And because we're not known, I mean, no one else can know what's happening inside our head. Mm -hmm. We're only known for what we say and what we do. Right. And if we can choose those things ahead of time by practicing observing our own emotions and all that, then we get to choose who we are and choose to be calm. <laughs> That's true power. Kimmy, Kimmy, as part of that, I think you've referenced it once or twice being aware of it, that being aware that I'm in my, I'm reacting, being aware that it's happening even if I don't know why, but I know it's something's happening that's reactive. And really that tells me that if it's happening, I'm in my limbic brain. So if I at least can sense that, that gives me the opportunity to say, wait a minute, because I know it seems to me that once I know this pattern, yeah. I know that I have to catch it early yeah, to allow sure. it to get to where I want it to be. Other, Cause it's in the yeah. limbic brain's in the way essentially is what you're saying. It's in the way. Yes, it can be, yes. It's important that it's there because it has kept, kept us safe. And the, it reacts with coping mechanisms that are, they've kept you safe. They've kept you alive or you wouldn't be here today. But because a lot of our, our perceived threats are not physical threats, they're, oh, make it pop. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that thing is, um, being able to, to regulate, to self-regulate and to just take a step back, observe and go, um, mm, I'm not gonna, uh, I've heard that song before. Like my friend, Terry Trispicio says, I've heard that song before. I'm gonna change the station. <laughs> so, so Cammy, my experience personally, as well as with clients has been that one of the challenges is that the inner work is in conflict often with my subconscious desire to be safe. Mm. 
like my subconscious is saying safe don't go there mm -hmm. so number one i'm curious do you find have you found that to be the case and what are some ways to navigate that reality to the degree that is real absolutely um you have those feelings for a reason um, you have those thoughts for a reason, either because they're on repeat or um, because they're familiar and your brain is is leaning towards the familiar. But you can have a conversation with your inner critic. And I've had many, 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 many conversations with my inner critic. Uh, you grab a piece of paper and you grab two colors of pen and, and you just write down, OK, inner critic, I'm listening. What? What is it that you <laughs> want to tell me? What? What now? And you grab the other color pen. This is going to be ridiculous. Why are you even writing a book? Oh my God, nobody's going to listen to it. You don't have letters after your name. And even if you do get this published and da, 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 this is, this is straight from Terry Torres Pichot and her writing her book, but it's, it is so soothing to your own self to actually listen to your own fears. And then you look at it and you go, okay, if I get my book published, no one's going to read it. Okay, but how? Well. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know that. And we've yeah. heard that story before. And every writer in the history of history has probably had the same thought. So that's not helpful. All right. I've heard that song before. Let's change the station. Wow. So by writing it out, then you can actually access it from the yeah. frontal cortex. From, from the. Uh, from, yeah. Yes. Yes. So why, why two different colors? Cammy. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've heard that before about like even being creative. And I, I used, I learned from a book writing coach that strategy to do my outline more visually versus linearly, linearly, and to use different colors. Yeah. It stimulates differently. So is that true with this process as well? Absolutely. Is Absolutely. the critic red? Uh, not always. It's two, okay. whatever, two different colors are handy. Okay. And, and having these conversations, you really get familiar with the voice of your inner critic. Hmm. And I was, my inner critic is male. I was hmm. as shocked as you are. I was like, okay, that's weird. And his name is Cruella. <laughs> Go figure. And, and I mean, okay, your name's Cruella. All right. What, what is it that you want me to hear? You know, and, and I, it, Cruella went from this screeching, control freak trying to grab the wheel of the bus I'm driving to a creative ally who I can count on to do what I need him to do when I need him to do it. Interesting. Wow. So it's, it's a long process, but I mean, now when I hear Corella's voice, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution. I hear you that this could be dangerous or I'm taking a risk. Thank you, honey. Now shush. <laughs> <laughs> To, that sounds Cammy, are you familiar with the concept of a risk manager? Mm -mm. I mean, so I in some of my is, but well, yeah. So in some of my um, men's work, it's something I became familiar with, and that it's it's and part of the process of learning more about that risk manager is doing what you said, identifying it, naming it, and even separating it in some processes so you can have a conversation with. And, and number one, bless it and say, thank you. You have brilliantly looked out for me Yes. versus trying to ignore it or push it away and just say, look, I know you're a part of me. Thank you. Yes. In general, but also in those moments to say, I thank you for sharing that. 
I, thanks for the input kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And people go, you're nuts. You're talking to yourself. I said, actually, yeah. I'm not. I'm talking to a part of myself. Yes. <laughs> and by doing that, I can take that out of, I can separate it. So it's not running. It's yeah. not running things anymore. So, so he's not grabbing the steering wheel. Exactly. So the goal is that you have your, your creative, um, supportive, uh, eyes wide open, inner critic, who's there to tell you that's pothole in the road, or that could be dangerous. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't say, yeah, all right, you're right. But I think of my, I think of Cruella as an overprotective best friend, who I call it. <laughs> And I would never just say, shut your damn pie hole to my best mm. friend. I would say, oh, thank you, honey. I know you care, but I think I got this. Hmm. Sounds like my mom. Always, <laughs> always meaning well, but always wants to, you know, say, say her good piece. <laughs> and sometimes your inner critic does take on the voice of a mom or a dad. Yeah. Or that professor in college who didn't believe in you. <laughs> okay. So to that point, Cammy, how often when you're working with folks is one of your pieces of counsel to either stop asking for advice or to take in advice differently? Because my experience is I have so many people who they model my inner critic because <laughs> it's coming from their inner critic. Oh, my gosh. I, I almost never once once I establish uh, you know, a client, they know that I'm, I am not the holder of the answers or the keys. Um, I can point out where all the locks are. I can help you feel out where the roadblocks are, where the, where the sticky, gooey, contagious messes are in the corners that you can like, and I'll provide the light, but you got to clean your own house. You know, sounds like our last conversation. Um, you're, you have the roadmap. <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing I'm curious about, Cami, in your work, and I asked our last guest this, do you, what do you find is really driving people to change? You know, there's the old saying, which I think is an old saying because it's largely true. People either are, are trying to avoid pain, bad experience, or moving towards something. And sometimes I think there's a transition. I mean, for me, you know, I might be avoiding something at the beginning and then I can clear some space to think about the possibilities. Have you found any patterns or things that are more typical than not about what actually drives people to do the inner work? Mm -hmm. So I'm a volunteer mentor for ADP list, uh, stands for amazing design people list, fantastic <laughs> organization, seriously, uh, worldwide. They're now in 60 countries and, and we're clocking something like over 10,000 hours a month of volunteer mentoring across the world. Wow. It's there's 3000 plus mentees and tens of thousands men, sorry, 3000 mentors and tens of thousands of mentees all over the planet. Mm. But most of the mentees, I feel like, People at the bottom need counseling. Then somewhere in the middle, there's people who, who need mentoring. And then there's people who need coaching who want to go higher. Mm. And, the, and the mentors or the mentees that I work with are the ones who are trying to avoid the pain. They're, they're trying to get a job. I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to 
I don't want to fail. I don't want to disappoint my parents. I don't, you know, I don't want to something. And the people who are ready for coaching, who even know coaching exists, are the people who say, okay, I want, I want to get there, but I don't know how to get there. Or I feel like I'm in the way, which is always the case. They're always in the way. <laughs> Why do I know this? Because I'm always in my way. Yes. So the 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 people who want to they've identified something or they can feel that there's something more, but I don't know what that is. Maybe can you help me identify what that is? And those are the people who have made, who've turned that corner, so to speak. Hmm. So I'm hearing you say it's almost like a progression that it starts with pain, pain kind of jumpstarts it. Yeah. And then then we, once I can get past the pain to some degree or detach a little bit, then I can start to see the possibilities. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it from a, from a human animal point of view, we're, we're going to want to, um, you know, if our, if our foot's on fire, we're going to put that out before we <laughs> right. decide we're going to go get some food because that food sounds really good. And that's going to be a step up from having your foot on fire. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm really curious for the creatives, Cami. something that comes to mind because you mentioned it in your opening story. And I have a lot of friends whose children, their kids are in creative and endeavors. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of them certainly well-intended, very loving, consciously protective have said things to them that I wonder actually create a wound. Mm. And it's that conversation, just what you said. Um, it, it could be the kind of the overt of, oh, my God, don't do that. You're going to be a starving artist, mm -hmm. which seems kind of harsh. But then there are the people I think sound more loving and they'll say something like, well, yeah, I support you, whatever you do, as long as you're able to make a living at it. Mm. <laughs> yep. Or I'm, I'll, I, I think you should do whatever you want, but just know I'm not going to support you financially down the road. And I hear that I go, I get it logically, yeah. but it feels like that could feed and maybe even either create or intensify a prior wound of not enough. Yeah. It, it fertilizes the fear. It's interesting that you talk That's about a good I, phrase. I look at the creative, you know, when, when you say creative, I immediately think, okay, well, my dad was an engineer, but he was creative. He was a mechanical engineer and designed lots of things, patents, et cetera. <laughs> written 23 books, et cetera. Um, I've worked in lots of different areas. I've done design work. I've done a lot of other things, but my creative, my creativity comes out in the business side. Mm -hmm. And so I think about, okay, there are a lot of different people who are creative. It's, it's a natural expression of many of us to just For create. All of, all of us. I, <laughs> if you have a heartbeat, you're creative. <laughs> yes. Yes. And a lot of people just say, no, I'm, I'm just not creative. I don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm like, Really? So anyway, with that, with everybody having some sense of creativity or doing things that are creative, mm -hmm. do we all need to follow the same kind of path? You know, is there that, that pain? We need to figure out where that's coming from and then, you know, get the therapy, get that, the help on that and then move to that next level. Or do people start at different points, do you think? I think everybody's on their own okay. a different level. Everybody's on their own journey. Um, we may have similar experiences, mm. 
-hmm. And we may have um, similar, you know, uh, resting points on our path. But um, I say that I am a coach, a transformational coach, primarily for creatives. Because if you have completely denied any aspect of your creative self, I don't know that I can help you. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. You and I know (laughs) that (laughs) if you have a heartbeat, you are a creative. (laughs) So to that point, Cammie, is in your work, I am curious, is is your work most typically what would be labeled as traditional creative? Because I had, I'm similar to Craig in the sense I never saw myself as creative. Oh, you are. Um, and I'm very creative. However, the type of things you're talking about don't feel as applicable. No one ever said to me, you know, you got to make sure you can make a living because my creativity is showing up in professions that don't have the label. So um, art, I think of of traditional, I'm an artist in the traditional fashion. I'm um, in uh, performance arts, music or stage. Mm-hmm. Those kind of are the careers that typically have that conversation of, Hey, can you really make a living at that? Or I'm going to write a book. Um, I think they carry the most wounds. Right. That's my question. So why, so why do you think that? And tell us more about that. Um, Because creativity is very subjective. Hmm. If, if you say, and I'll give you a perfect example, you give a, a kid a crayons and a uh, piece of paper and you say, draw me a picture. And then the kid goes to the parents. The parent says, what is it? Instead of appreciating it for the art that it is, or wow, tell me about this. I love what that difference. It? So it, it, it trains the child. I have to draw something that, that makes sense. I have to draw something with a purpose. Yeah. Instead of, you know, wow, I made this thing and, and mommy loves it. Mm. interesting yeah i wrote a, a, a poem for my wife one time she absolutely hated it it's like really <laughs> it was just her name with different punctuation in it throughout and it's like she just didn't get it <laughs> i was like i still so, like it <laughs> so the act so oftentimes we are we are told that creativity either has to serve a purpose mm. like in the design world it's got to sell something right um, if, if it's a photograph, can I tell what it is? Is it a, it's a photograph of something. Um, it's a story. Did I enjoy reading the story? And it's not creativity for the sake of creativity is, is the, the kind that's healing. Mm. Like I have a, I have a big box of crayons and, um, a big notepad and I color and I, you know, I hold my, my crayons in a fist <laughs> and I get my entire body involved because the act of creation ha- does not have anything to do with the end result. Interesting. It's like you have to have some dance. thick paper for that, though. Yes. And a dance, a dance does not, it's not the end result of the dance that makes it wonderful mm-hmm. and feel good. It's the act of doing it. And I feel the same way about art. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I help teach my clients and, and my coach taught me that the act of creating without some end product in mind is where the healing takes place. So writing, writing a story without the end reader in mind, um, singing without an end tune in mind, yeah. um, drawing, painting, any of that 
The mm-hmm. act of creation is what is what can heal us. So interesting. We had uh, my son got married on Saturday, and oh, congratulations! A, thank you. We had a you know there was a great party afterwards, lots of dancing, and it just felt like there was co-creation there. You know that it was it was <laughs> not just you know hey I'm I'm showing up and hey look at me. Yeah, there was some of that, and that was fine because you know everybody was getting involved, but it was this co-creation of joy to celebrate their their union. It's so cool. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Welcome back. Um, I'm curious about something, if you have some insights on this. You've talked a little bit about the messages we give children especially around the creative arts. And Mm. like, I wonder, do you have a sense that educators today are being educated on this in the context of trauma? Like I'm guessing they're not actually. I I think, well, it it doesn't matter what I think about our education system at this point, but it would benefit the entire species to have some kind of trauma-informed everything involved in teaching from preschool to college, because it, it affects us so unconsciously and so deeply in every aspect of our lives. Yeah. Well, my wife is a school teacher. She teaches high school Spanish and she does have moments where she senses there's something going on with the kid at home, you know, showing up in, in different ways, behaviors changing, whatever that is. And so, you know, she, she lets, counselors know or staff, whatever. But by and large, they have so many other things to do. Oh, yeah, it's really difficult to focus on each individual one. Although, you know, when somebody comes to her and says, Hey, I need some help. She's there, you know, and so many teachers are. But not there's there's only so so much bandwidth that they have. 
Yeah. But our, our entire teaching and education system is in is well overdue for an overhaul, but I'm not the person yeah. to lead that charge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's important conversation. I agree with you. And you know, I think of this classic example, but it gets used because it's shockingly still happening. I've heard in the last five years of stories of this happening where the child was asked questions, I won't say criticized, but asked questions about why they were coloring outside the lines. Oh, mm. don't even get me started. On I mean, and that we go, oh, ha, 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 that happened. But that's still happening today. And that's one of those shock, but not surprised. Yeah. Because I don't, I think for two reasons, one, we're still asleep to it. And number two, to your point, I don't think we have enough trauma awareness of how mm. easily we can create trauma where people think trauma is you stabbed me. No, yeah. trauma is like the trauma. subtle thing you said of what is this with that sort of tone? Like, I don't know what it is versus tell me about this. This looks pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those little are two different questions. Yeah. Little T trauma is everywhere, everywhere. Big T trauma. That's, you know, having to fight in wars and those kind of things mm. or growing up on the wrong side of the tracks and, you know, those kind of my, my eight ACE test score, that's big T trauma, but little T trauma is, is the subtle um, reactions that we give to kids and adults that, you know, we're, we're uh, unaware of. Um, I think a great place to start for most people, if you know, like, Hmm, I don't, I don't know. Am I, am I trauma aware? Um, Read What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. It is a great place to start. It's a good 30,000 foot view of what exactly is trauma and how does it manifest? How does it show up as we're adults and, and what symptoms uh, present? And, and then what the heck do you do about it? Yeah, I remember you talk about the little T and I love that phrase. I don't know if I've heard that before, surprisingly. And um, I can't remember the context. It was maybe a coaching session many years ago. And someone said to me, they asked me a question. This memory came to me, like flashed in my head. And I think I was like 12 or 13 years old. I was playing on a baseball team. And I remember I bought this really cool bat. Now, back then they were all wood bats. There were no aluminum bats fans. This was not in the 1800s. Uh, <laughs> and I bought, it was called a Willie McCovey bat. And I remember I could vision, I could draw it for you as a really thin handle and a big barrel. And I remember when my bo- I bought it, my dad said, that bat's too heavy for you. Uh-huh. I remember that. I remember that. I was like, okay. Yeah, just not. dad is a professional baseball player. And my dad played professional, major league baseball. And then, but I remember this visually is the first time I used it. He wasn't there, but I played this game, came home to tell me about the game. He says, how was your game? I said, I hit a home run. And it was almost like I hit a home run with that bat that was too heavy. (laughs) And here's what he said. Where did you hit the home run? And I said, center field. And he said, I told you it was too heavy. You should have pulled the ball. Now, the thing is, I know that was loving. I know that came from a place of, you know, if you're a better hitter, you pull the ball. But I I can remember that. I still remember that vividly. And I go, that's probably a little T. Yeah. Not probably. It is a little T. Little T trauma. Yeah. Yeah. That's that version of, yeah, not enough. You made a bad choice. Saying, holy cow, you hit a home run. That's amazing. Way to go. Let's 
let's practice and I can show you how to do even better. I mean, there's so many ways if you're just, yeah. and it's, and it's, it's like this, I think of our, the, those thoughts that are operating on autopilot that we're, we're not conscious to as like a layer of smoke. I remember my mother-in-law and, and my father-in-law used to smoke. We'd go to their house and there was this layer <laughs> in the room. Do you remember? Have you ever yeah. experienced that? And, and I feel like it's kind of like that, except the smoke's at the bottom mm. and we can't, we can't really see through it. We know it's there. We can kind of sense it, but boy, when we get up above it, we're like, Oh, the air is clear. I can, <laughs> and I, Oh, I can say, wow. But until, you know, you're down in it and it's really, you, you don't know what you don't know. So let's transition this a little bit, Cami. Okay. I, mean, I think this is a super rich conversation, but what's coming to me is let's transition it to the little T's in the adult world. Oh, we talked of- a lot about, you know, our childhood experiences or early life. Let's talk about in our adult world and in the business world, because I think, I think leaders today, and we're all leaders are, would be shocked to realize the kind of impact they're having every day by the way they interact with their people mm-hmm. and the way they communicate with their people. Yeah. Yeah. The first, the first thing I want to address is that whole, make it pop. <laughs> As a graphic designer, I was told way too many times, make it pop, um, which is not helpful. Um, it's like if you're preparing for a, for a presentation and your boss sticks his head in the door and says, don't screw this up. <laughs> That's a little too trauma. But if you're you focusing on. Yeah. Screwing it up. <laughs> pink elephant. Right. If, if you, if the boss comes in and says, Hey, I, you're going to do great. Or I believe in you. I'm really looking forward to this, whatever it, it changes your brain chemistry. It changes what's happening. Yeah. And, and so often the, the, the managers and the leaders in an organization are unaware because they're also on autopilot, how those little tiny interactions are affecting people. There's a, there's a term called the Losada line. Losada. Uh, L-O-S-A-D-A, Losada line, that is a ratio of positive to negative comments. Mm, Um, And this this is in a book by Sean Acor called The Happiness Advantage. Right. So the Losada line says you need three to one, three positive to one negative to to even begin to maintain any kind of good atmosphere at work. Wow. But a a better and more sustainable ratio is six to one. So that if your employees are not doing what they ought to, then you tell them what you're, what they are doing. That's, that's right. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and little by little, the unwanted behaviors or the, the work that's un, you know, unappealing or doesn't work for the situation, whatever, um, will, will take care of itself. You're, you're going straight for the cause and ignoring the symptom. Mm. Well, one thing I would add to that is I think in your example about make it pop, <laughs> I think some leaders here would hear what you're saying and saying, I'm not supposed to tell people when they could do better. Well, I think, I think there's a still a place for that. I do, but it's a question of ratio. It's also a question of how do you say it? Yes. Because some people would say, make it pop is feedback. In my <laughs> opinion, that is not in any way feedback. It's just this opinion that's not actionable at all. I don't even know what it means. 
that's not feedback. And I've told people in my new book actually has a whole chapter on feedback. It says the problem is most feedback isn't even feedback. It's a judgment of something and someone essentially without talking about what's actually the thing to improve. And here's how you can improve it. That's yeah. feedback. That is feedback. Absolutely. Not make it pop. <laughs> Well, when I'm working with my graphic designers, what I'll do is I'll lay out, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish, you know, please use brand standards, things like that. And I leave it up to them to get creative and, and wow me, right? When they come back and it's not quite what I'm looking for, then I let them know, but in a way, I mean, but I'm taking responsibility for not having communicated, you know, whatever I wanted. And so I just reestablish, you know, here are some expectations. I'd love to see this happen or whatever. Don't really say make it pop. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but it's you have to take on some of that responsibility yourself of I have miscommunicated or I did not give enough guidance in what I'm looking for on the outcome. Yeah. And as a designer, if I'm if I'm showing something to a client and they say it's missed the mark, I don't take it personally. Right. I'm like, okay, it missed the mark. Tell me. Tell me again, describe that mark mm -hmm. so that we can get there. It is th this thing that I'm making is the byproduct of my creativity. It is not a reflection of who I am or my capabilities or my value. Right. And it takes a while sometimes to, to build the rapport with the other person so that you can say that, you know, that, hey, it missed the mark. And I can do that now with my graphic designers, but it's, it, I'm always careful not to squash their spirit, right? Because that's, that's the worst thing that we can do. Well, you can, when some, I mean, they show you something, it totally missed the mark. You can say, all right, these colors are great and the colors are on brand. And this part over here is really nice or the, the call to action is working, but this part over here, how can you make this part better? Hmm. How can yeah. you, how can you make this do the thing that it needs to do a little clearer? Cause I had a, yeah. I, I think a graphic designer's job is to clarify information. Um, I had this, mm. I had an interesting discussion with David Carson, the, the graphic designer, and he is an artist. And I say, you've, you've given designers kind of a, a, a false idea of what design is because I mean, truly he is an amazing artist. And I said, you, you dude, you are not, you are not a designer. If anything, you make things harder to find the information harder to see and, and absorb, I said, you know, we've got to, as designers, it has to do the thing, whatever yeah. that thing is. Design Convey is the message. Purpose. So, so I'm curious now, this is a, we're going to do a real life from brief moment here, hot seat. And uh -oh. so, so something just triggered me, Craig, about what you said. And I'm curious, Cammie, about your feedback. What you said was you tell your designers, this wasn't what I was looking for. And when I heard that, I went, that felt to me like coloring in the lines. Like I needed, it felt like contained, like they didn't meet your expectation of what it needs to be. And so I'm curious from a creativity standpoint, is there, is there something in there? I guess it just hit me like, well, why does it have to look like what you were looking for? You know what I mean? Like not what I was looking for. Can I speak so to that? It felt or like it wasn't creative license, if that's what I felt like. I, I think it, it, it needs to do the thing. Yeah. And by that, it needs to be judged. And if somebody comes up to, you know, comes up with something that, that doesn't work for me, I think, all right, is it because I don't like it or because I don't believe it'll do the thing? Right. So, so Cammie, um, 
I mean, I hate, I hate the clock. I hate the clock. <laughs> I just, I do. I hate the clock and it's, and it's reality. It's part of our lives. Um, so one question I want to ask you before we wrap up here, I wrote it down early on. We had some guests, our guest recently was talking, using the metaphor of the Phoenix, you know, rising from the ashes. And they are saying that from the perspective that they felt like they in their inner work journey needed to sort of completely let go of that old self, almost burn it up. So a new self could arrive or arise. So I'm curious about, is that, is that your mindset as well? That there's this, not just putting behind in some way, but actually almost burning up this old self in order to create the new self. I think that's a very interesting concept. Um, I would say it depends on where you are in your journey and how much you hate yourself. Because if you despise where you are now, then you would want to destroy everything about yourself there during the healing process. There is especially the, the, the coaching that I went through, it's called the hundred days of creative high growth. Um, There were days spent on the idea of destruction of what, what parts do we need to either destroy to make room for new, new parts or let go of so that new things can grow. Like if you have a diseased limb on a tree, you've got it. You've got to cut it. For me, I, I like, why burn the whole tree down? If, if you can prune (laughs) it and and fertilize it and nurture it, you know, but wrapped in something there's yeah, there's whole aspects of me that I love and have always loved. Right. And I don't, and this is, you know, I'm an opinion of one for me, just destroying or, or burning the whole thing down doesn't resonate with me, but that's not to say not for everyone. I mean, everyone's on their own path. Everyone's got their own journey for some people. They're going to go, Oh my God, that's it. That's the med. That's how I want to feel. Yes. I want to just create the whole new me. And that's awesome. You know, I try to meet people where they are. Well, I think one thing when people talk about, I mean, when people say, I, I don't want, I'm a, I hesitant to do the inner work because it's painful. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I my experience, yeah. it is. It is painful. When I think about wounds and trauma, and I think about literally if I had a wound on my arm that was inflicted many years ago, the answer is not to put some salve on and a new Band-Aid. That's not really going to solve it. What I need to do is I probably have to dig in there a little bit, in a little bit get, get out some of the old stuff. Mm that's not serving me in order to give it a chance to heal. And I'm not a medical doctor. So, but it seems logical to me. I've got to cut some of that out to allow it to heal. So for me, it's not about burning the whole house down. Some people have said that I don't aspire to that or not aspire to that. I don't agree with that, but to some degree I've got to dig in there and that hurts. I don't want that. I just want you to put a bandaid on it. And, but I realized in a lot of my life, I was putting a bandaid on it and it was doing nothing. Well, that's hope. Oh, that's how we that's how we get along in the world is we figure out coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, there is a fantastic story, and this is from a book called um, "Personality Isn't Permanent" by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And he says there's a story about somebody who's got a thorn in her arm, a big old nasty thorn, and it's barbed and it hurts a whole lot. And this woman's like, "I can't pull it out. It just it hurts way too much." So she develops this 
this contraption that goes around it to protect it so that she can sleep at night. She's not as comfortable, but you know, at least nothing touches the thorn. And she's really into sports. So she's she's got this sling that she wears and a protective over thing so that she can kind of still play sports. Um, but and not as well, but it's better than touching the thorn because the thorn really hurts. Um, and and most of us are, you know, going through our lives trying to not touch the thorn. Yeah. Yeah, it hurts, but my God, there's there's so much freedom and peace and joy and happiness that can be had if you can identify what the hell is causing the pain. Oh, it's a thorn. Yeah. That's oh, what it's it the way that I've been acting in this situation. Yeah. yeah. It's this absolutely previous preconceived notion. It's this, you know, uh, self-limiting belief. It's this uh, inner critic on repeat. For, and it's in the voice of my mother who told me I was never good enough, whatever. Hmm. But identifying what that is and pulling that out, it, that's the path to freedom. And for everybody, it's a little bit different. Yeah. I guess I see when, when both of you were talking, it made me think of, you know, as we show up, we oftentimes just have band-aids all over us, right? <laughs> so Band-aid you know, band man, band-aid woman, right? Everyone. And and you show up and you have these band-aids all over the place rather than, okay, I'm going to rip off the band-aid. I'm going to fix what's really going on underneath. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know what's underneath. You just know it hurts. Right. The band-aid yeah. is flesh colored and it blends in and you don't know where the edges are. <laughs> right. Unless you use the Barney's, you know. <laughs> I used to work for the company that did Barney. Oh. <laughs> friend, wow. of, friend of me and my husband's um, is the voice of Barney. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not even going to talk about yeah. that. I was traumatized as an adult by that. Oh, my God. It was, it was a big T. <laughs> so, Cammie, this, this is, as I expected, so rich, so uh, insightful. So um, encouraging and supportive as well. And I'm hopeful, I know, I'm not hopeful, I know that people listening to this are going to walk away with so many things to help them just whether begin their journey or be a guide on their journey. So let's let people know what's, um, we always want our guests to have a chance to highlight or promote something. What is that for you, Cammie? Well, I, like I was talking about the, the program that's called 100 Days of Creative High Growth. It is receiving coaching an hour to two hours a day, every day for a hundred days straight. No break. Wow. It is intense work. It's not for everyone, but I am the first and only person licensed to teach that besides the person who created it, which was wow. my master pillow top. Hmm. Uh, and that uh, the very first cohort and the cohorts are between three and six people. So very, very small groups, very, very small. Uh, the first cohort is starting January 21st. That I'm super excited about that. Sounds amazing. For people who are not ready for that, who are like, oh, inner work, I don't even know what that is. I'm not even sure. And oh my God, how do I even start? What do I even, how do I know what I don't know? I developed two courses that kind of lead into that. One is called the pillar or the foundations of inner work. And the other one is called the pillars of inner work. And that that creates a good solid beginning for those who have never done it. Hmm. And, and how do people find all those on your website? My website is so ridiculously easy to remember. <laughs> it's cami.coach. C-A-M-I.coach. <laughs> all right. 
And what's the best way for people to connect with you, Cami? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn several times a day. Okay. okay. My playground now. So we always wrap up with a question or two. In the interest of time, I'm going to do a single question today. And today I want to ask you about role models. Who is that leadership role model for you and why were they such an impactful model? Leadership role model. You know, I, I, I'm drawing a blank, but the thing to me that's adjacent to leadership is strength. And I think the strongest person I know is my mom. Hmm. She's 84. She raised um, her kids by herself, single mom, um, working as an administrative assistant back then. It was just called a secretary hmm. um, who never, ever let people take advantage of her. Like all of the garbage and grief I went through as a kid, um, she was my rock. I love that. It's funny how, not funny or surprising anymore, how parents come up and I've, my father's 84 as well. My mom has passed. And I started realizing the last couple of years how much I was influenced by my father, especially around leadership, that it wasn't obvious. In fact, uh, he won't have heard this. He doesn't know this yet. Uh, but my book that is launching tonight is dedicated to him. Oh, my God. Exciting. So, yeah, he does not know that. And, and I talk in there about some of the very specific lessons I now realize that I learned from him without him ever intending it, probably. Yeah, modeled by behavior. And, and yeah. any good leaders um, I've had were not necessarily my managers, but but maybe peers or even people who worked under me that, that just led by example, mm -hmm. they were, they were not afraid to be openly loving and vulnerable and supportive uh, and, and weren't so concerned with the status quo. So good. Well, I'm glad you shared that Cami, because that is something that we, and I know I regularly share as an example, when I talk to organizations and I ask people, who are the leaders? Their initial answer is titles. Mm -hmm. I'll say, I didn't ask you who have the titles. I said, who are the leaders? Mm -hmm. And it's rarely, unfortunately, the titles. It's that person who appear or someone that reports to them and said, that's that person who models it. And I'd follow them anywhere. Mm. And yeah. you go, yeah, there's a leader. So thank you for that. Thanks for sharing all you shared. And especially thank you for the work that you're doing in the world, because I know you know this, but it matters. Yep. Oh, definitely. It's the most important work you can do. And it's, I mean, like you said before, it's the only person you can control is yourself. And if you're not working on yourself, you're missing a great opportunity to just influence the world in a great way. And have a much better life. Yeah, and be happy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Happier people are more successful. They make more money. <laughs> they live up to 10 years longer. No, wait a minute. Doesn't more money and more success equal more happiness? Not. Happiness comes first. Always. There you go. Absolutely. Love it. Happiness always precedes success. We're good. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much.
If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.